everyone and welcome to the Prototypes Podcast. This is a podcast where innovators, product creators and entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. Our mission is to inspire more people to create great product experiences. My name is Margarida and I'll be your host today. Today, my guest is Ines Liberato. Ines has experience as a product manager in a wide variety of industries, such as big data, gambling, financial regulation and IoT. As an entrepreneur, she thrives on collaborating with startups and scale-ups, injecting their passion for product innovation and transforming initiatives. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Ines. Uh, it's so, so great to, to have you here with us uh, and to I'm so excited that I'll have this conversation with you. Uh, I would like to start our conversation by uh, digging a bit into your career path. <laughs> so before moving to, to London, uh, so you were you were working in Portugal and you had two part-time jobs uh, and also you had your own uh, cake design business. <laughs> True. And then... <laughs> You moved to London in 2030, so I, I want to hear, like, how did you move to London and uh, why did you decide to, to move to that city? First of all, thank you for, for having me here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and the story, the move to London, it was a bit of a, um, a now or never type of situation. Uh, so the cake design business was doing really well. Um, and the, the other part-time jobs were something that I had to, to, to keep balancing, um, you know, a, a stable income. And they were going to come to an end. And uh, I had the the choice of either going full-time with my cake design business, fully invest in it, start open a shop potentially, uh, or I could um, fill in this um, idea that I had of either studying or working in a different uh, city. I had top three. I had either Paris, New York, or London. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt like the one that had the best combo of the type of opportunities, aperture, uh, cultures um, was was actually London. And so it was a one of those situations of um, let's see how it goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I literally sold my car and I moved. Um, the, 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 the initial plan was the uh, three months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, actually... Um, a couple of weeks ago was uh, my 10-year anniversary here in, in London. Oh, oh my. So uh, how did the, um, <laughs> you said a couple of months transform into 10 years? Yeah, so I feel like um, when I moved in, I felt uh, quite at home uh, straight away. And um, I was really... Uh, struggling to find something a little bit more permanent because I came with the idea because I didn't know anything else. Uh, but my idea best based on my background of design, advertising and marketing that I really wanted to work for an agency and I applied for a ton of them and that wasn't really happening. But when that, um, that hard choice of, 
you know, do I just go back home and this is it, this was my experience, or I just figure something else in the meantime until I find the job. Uh, I felt quite strongly about staying. And so I start, I started looking for other jobs. I handed my CV to, um, I don't know, the, the, the retailers, um, the shop floors of the world. Um, and uh, one job that I thought it was going to be for a, a fancy um, a shop floor assistant, turns out it was for the back office. And that's how I um, ended up working for the back office of the Couples, which is a, a massive brand in, in France. And they uh, needed some help with setting things up here in the UK. And I'd like to say that that was my second startup because we were operating from the back of a shop in the basement of a shop in Marblehead High Street, um, and it ended up it ended up becoming just me and the country manager uh, managing 35 locations across the whole UK with 140 people. Um, and yeah, I, and when I left, um, I was I left with the title of head of HR and, and operations, really. Um, yeah, that's um, that's the story with that. <laughs> okay, so it was really uh, you 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 moved to London and uh, you like your ideas were completely shuffled in just a few like in one year or less maybe. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that's that's um, when people are not sure what is it that what what is it that they want. I think that is important to have a vision, um, something, you know, you, you don't necessarily need a plan all worked out, but you need to have an idea of what is it that you're looking for. And, but also you need to be open to, for things to change because that's just life. So I like, I like positioning things as having a goal, having an idea, uh, but being open to change and make mm -hmm. sure that you know what you don't want, because those are the two um, balances the two goal keeps that you can can keep to to help you when you need to make some harder decisions mm -hmm. yeah yes yes that's super important and uh, how how did you ended up uh discovering product management <laughs> that was the whole other adventure so a very good friend of mine uh, was we were having a, a walk in the park and she was complaining to me how she couldn't find an intern to join her for um, an event that she was putting together within the marketing team. And uh, she was working for a startup at the time. That startup was called Skimlinks. Um, and as she was describing the role to me, it felt, I felt quite strongly about it, even though it was just an internship and she guaranteed me it was only for three months. I turned to her and I said, I'll do it. I'll apply for it. <laughs> and she just laughed at me. And she was quite surprised because, but Ines, you're, you're, head of, you're head of uh, HR and operations for, for a retail brand. What, why uh, do you want to do this? I said, well, that was the whole point of why I moved to London in the first place. So, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'll know. And so I applied for it. And um, I went through the whole uh, interview process and I stayed. Um, and so that was my first step into, into tech um, in, the marketing, in the marketing team to uh, help organize this, coordinate this event. And two weeks in, um, 
they were doing new starters inductions where, and this induction for, for people who are not familiar with this is that in some certain startups, what they do is to showcase the different teams that are working for a, um, a company, a, a startup. And so it was time for, you know, finance does one, marketing does one, every, all the teams do one um, as a bit of an intro of the work that they do. So people get a little bit familiar um, with um, the style of working and and the different areas of the business. And product uh, time rolled in. And I had one of those life uh, light bulb moments of, hang on a second. So I can do all the things that I enjoy and I can call that a job. (laughs) So it had the analytics side, the operations side, the creativity, the uh, the design side, um, and um, you know getting to build stuff. So I, I was very excited about it. I was very fortunate that uh, the product team at the time, uh, Chris and Tom, were um, very well versed in product, very experienced uh, people. They had just come from a um an inspired workshop from with with Marty Kagan and so cool. they really um I had I, I was like I said I was very fortunate um and they were really good at setting me up with uh, the right uh books the right practices I also did at the time uh because I'm a little bit of a um that's how my brain operates I go really deep dive I also did a, a business a product business course by General Assembly uh, to get familiarized with the whole areas of product. And um, and yeah, after a while, when I was uh, finished the, the course, they offered uh, me a role in the product team. Um, so I was, again, very, very fortunate. Wow. Wow. So the, and all of this happened in uh, like less than two years, right? So you just moved to London thinking that you are going to find a job in the agency. <laughs> You go as a marketing, you know, you start working um, for a startup as HR in the HR and then uh, moved as an intern in the marketing team and then product management where you are learning uh, top-notch uh, topics in product management. That's yeah, great. roughly, <laughs> roughly. It's like, well, I was a head of HR, I was in a retail brand, not in a startup. I just like call it mm-hmm. a startup, but um mm-hmm. Yeah, never really thought it about it like that uh, in that way. That all happened in less than two years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's that's amazing, amazing. Uh, so what what happens next? <laughs> so after Skimlinks, I uh, joined a gambling company uh, because I was really interested in learning more about um the hook model by by near al and i thought you know what's best than going to the source of an addictive um business as its nature you know gambling and i learned a lot i was the, the first product person in in the organization so i was able to set up a lot of um systems and uh, best practices there um and really help growing uh, the business as well um and yeah i think that's naturally uh, move through other um, roles uh, because I'm a natural explorer, I would say. Uh, but also, I always made a point of being inserted in a product community from uh, the get go. 
And Lenin is really good with that. So there's a lot of variety in terms of meetups and conferences and exposure to what other people are doing, how people are doing product in their organization. And uh, I was very fortunate um, that my next role actually came from a community meetup. And uh, yeah, I got to work at Hive. Uh, launched a product there. So I was really proud because it was actually a physical product. And so it was really good exposure to understanding how the digital world merges into uh, physical products, other considerations that you need to have. Can you still be agile when you're thinking about physical products? So that's a whole other um, <laughs> deep dive there. Um, and then things were, were going really well. And again, through network and friends, I was um, invited to set up a product function within a RecTech uh, organization that was uh, Arc Solutions. Um, and that was also a transformation project because they were going through uh, becoming a, a SaaS business from being a services uh, company. Um, and yeah, things evolved necessarily in a less positive uh, thing. I think it's important to highlight that with startups and scale-ups, you always take a risk. And sometimes uh, things don't end up um, as well as you uh, expect, uh, even though if you take all the, the perfect steps, you know, there's still other um, forces at play. And so sometimes um, this is just the nature of, of working in, in, um, in this type of organizations. And uh, yeah, the team ended up becoming, uh, being made redundant and along with half of the sales team. And so that happened. Um, a week before the lockdown was announced. So that was fun. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I was doing my MBA. So um, that was an interesting uh, joy ride. Uh, but I was, again, very lucky. I feel like I keep saying that I was really lucky, but I, I feel like you put a lot of work and effort in these things. And sometimes they go really well and sometimes they don't. So mm. I cannot say um that everything is down to my uh, work and ambition. I think that a lot of it is down to to, to luck and just need to keep pressing and pushing um, to make sure that things uh, are happening, I would say. So it's a bit of a balance there. Um, but yeah, I found uh, my, um, my old manager pulled me into the organization that he ended up going to. Um, and uh, I was there for as head of product and innovation. Um, and still within regulation technology, uh, but that was really intensive um, because it was all happening during the pandemic as well. And I felt like I needed to go back a little bit down to my roots in terms of uh, design and being more creative. And so that's when Founders Factory came about um, and I was able to uh, put all of those things in practice with launching a lot of businesses from scratch um and helping uh, other businesses accelerate um so yeah, acting more as a co-founder for launching businesses and as a cpo coach for the business within the accelerator context and um yeah <laughs> this is a journey yeah that sounds uh, uh, you're working uh, founders factory sounds very creative um in the sense that you you need to to think in the a lot of different ideas and the things that people want to build and you you are there like with all your knowledge helping them to to build that yeah it's it's it can be really creative and um 
because you have you don't have all the resources in the world. So I, I'd say that being scrappy and moving moving mm-hmm. fast. Um, Found Factory has a lot of uh, foundational values that guide a lot of how um, they build organizations. And so I think that momentum of perfection is one of the favorite ones, but also my personal favorite is um, around being um, empathetic because at the end of the day, we're still dealing with people who have put um, their lives on the line for starting businesses. And I think that if you're not tuned into that, um, it can become really, really complicated really quickly. So being really human while you move fast and are scrappy, um, it's, it's, it's really important. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Inish, for this uh, overview. I think uh, it's, it was super interesting to hear know more about your career and uh, all the ups and downs. And it's it's good to hear that uh, things are not linear. Um, yeah, no, definitely. People can relate a lot uh, with, with your story and feel calmer when they are not sure <laughs> what they want to do. Yeah, I think it's important. Sometimes you hear um you know podcasts and speakers coming coming in and talking about and it's it's important as well to to be able to summarize that and this is also something that um I've learned and I've been coached on uh but sometimes depending on what is the focus of and the objective of what is it that we're trying to do because I also coach and mentor people through their paths and their journeys it is important to uh, understand that things are not linear, like you were saying, and that sometimes you're faced with challenges and um, you, you you need to find solutions to get out of those challenges and in the best way. And sometimes is a, wait, a waiting game, sometimes a, a, number, a numbers game, sometimes is just keep pushing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, I think we we can move to to the next topic. You, I really wanted to talk with you about uh, the topic of women in tech. So uh, I've seen that you have published and you are part of some groups that uh, are related to the topic of uh, women are represented in tech. Um, and uh, it's also interesting that this has been a topic that uh, it has been discussed uh, in this in previous episodes of this podcast uh, with Radhika and Annabella. So for someone that has been uh, in the industry for, uh, I'm not sure how many years, but some years now, do you see changes in the industry related to how women are are positioned in in tech? That is a very uh, good question. I think that yes, there's been a lot of changes and there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I think that there is with other things that have been happening in in the world, uh, like for example, the Me Too movement with this um, increase in focus in um, female health tech um, with uh, other geopolitical uh, movements that have been pushing people to um, identify that things aren't as safe uh, or as stable as we we thought they were. I think that that is pushing a lot of people to come out to the streets and fight. Um, 
and that fight has been represented in, in, for example, one of these uh, groups that uh, product communities that I'm included, um, it's called Women in Products, and it's um, fantastic work that uh, Namrata has been doing along with a couple of us volunteers and, and really pushing this, but we really want to create safe space for um, women to, to flourish in uh, an industry that's sometimes a little bit difficult, not just tech, but product being sometimes a bit wishy-washy and mm -hmm. the fact that women are naturally more prone to doubt themselves uh, especially and if you're wor working and operating in an industry that is not necessarily sometimes the most welcoming one uh, depending on where you go to work uh, but also not the most straightforward where you can necessarily come in and say this is how things are done and I'm an expert in this um, so I think it's really important the the work that that is being done there. You probably will uh, share a link uh, because mm -hmm. I definitely it's definitely um, open for more women uh, or people who identify themselves as women to to join the group. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, differences, yes, I'll definitely say that there's difference. I think that people overall are a lot more cautious with what they say and what they do in a workplace. Um, and I think that that creates naturally a, a safer place for uh, women to flourish and, and grow in, in tech. But like I said, there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, do, do you see more and more women becoming entrepreneurs, founding startups and reaching to leadership positions? Uh, and I'm referring these three examples because this might be the the roles that you need uh more self-confidence and uh, there are particularly more men uh, in these roles. Yes, definitely. The, the, the percentage is uh, humongous. I believe that now it's on the 10% mm -hmm. <laughs> of women, women led and women founded businesses. Um, I think that, for example, one of the things that Founders Factory does really well is making sure that we are accountable for that so we do uh look at um the quotas and making sure that for example when we put the founder job specs out there that they are clean of any kind of male versus female language um mm -hmm. for example there's some adjectives that um are used that might be more uh, pulling in more uh, fem uh, female or male candidates the mm -hmm. expectations that he set um, there's a lot of platforms and uh, a lot of organizations that make sure that you, um, again, I can send a, share a few links, but um, there's some free products that you can use online to make sure that you're using a language that is a little bit more welcoming or you're setting expectations that are a little bit more welcoming uh, to, to female, uh, to cater for female founders. Like for example, um, while women might not necessarily have a direct uh, experience in founding a business, but it is very likely that women will be in involved in founding things and starting things within their own community, either mm -hmm. via school with the kids or um, just naturally prone to organizing and self-organizing uh, people within the community. So that shows entrepreneurship. So that's the kind of um, uh, push that we want to, the, the kind of attitude that we want from uh, founders. Right. Because mm -hmm. we can coach on the rest. But these are the things that you cannot coach is mm -hmm. do you have initiative? Do you have the stamina to keep pushing when things are hard? Those are the things that cannot be coached. And I think that um, 
maybe I'm very biased with my opinion, but women normally are really good with uh, resilience. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of the best founders that I've worked with are women. And for example, I have one that I'm the, the, the proudest of is a, a founder that has recently graduated from, from the program overall, Becky. She's, um, she's moving waters really because she's doing an a, a incredible work in a context, in an industry retrofit that is mostly mind led. Um, mm-hmm. and it is definitely worth, uh, mentioning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't knew that, uh, there were those, um, details in job, uh, descriptions that would be more prompt to, to men and would. Yeah, use... we definitely, we think about it as a funnel, right? So mm-hmm. it starts from putting that job spec out, um, the way that you interview, and making sure, so for example, we have chats about our biases and we raised flags in terms of, you know, I'm not sure if I think about this potential um, candidate this way because they're X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. Are we doing the right thing by bringing this person along or is it my bias talking? We openly discuss these as a team when we bring new people in. And then also making sure that the organization itself is ready Uh, to cater for people who come from different backgrounds because it's not as simple as hiring, hiring the right people because those things are easy to track and easy to measure. You can always have KPIs around it, but do people stay, right? Mm -hmm. Do people feel comfortable when they're operating within the organization, when they're moving through the organization? Are we making sure that we are focusing on equity as in making sure that people have built or or are we helping building those foundations that potentially don't exist because people don't have the the same context and the same experience they don't share the same language um mm-hmm. rather than equality which is give the same to everyone regardless of where they come from so these are are things that are constantly work in progress and we have a a task force actually that is uh focused on on making sure that we keep Uh, ourselves honest to 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 our targets and to the things that we uh, want to to make sure that we create the type of of organization that we want to create yeah 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 great i i think it's it's really amazing that that we are bringing uh, like we are talking about this topic which is so so important and thank you so much for bringing more light to it um and i will uh, I want to see the, the links that you will share with, about this community. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. So moving to the next topic, uh, I, I would like to talk about uh, what I called building what matters. So for me, I think it's it's fascinating that uh, we we have managed to organize uh, companies and organize ourselves as to work in group and to optimize how we work in group towards the same objective. And uh, we have come with frameworks, ceremonies, uh, ways of working with this goal in mind. And uh, yeah, there's still work to do. There's still companies that don't use the, the best uh, uh, ways of working, but some companies have become really, really good doing that, that and uh, building products that people love and scaling them and uh, monetizing them. But at the same time, the most pressing problems of the world, they are still problems to be solved. Mm. And uh, <laughs> that, 
as you have this experience in working with so many startups and I've seen that you have also working with startups related with in climate crisis and um, sustainability uh I I would wanted to ask you um uh, do you see changes in the business and tech ecosystem in their direction to solve more of these problems Yeah, I'm really happy that you're bringing this subject uh, to light. I think um, during the, the process of doing the MBA, I had the pleasure to be um, in, there's this part that we all need to do, which is called the Global Experience Week. Um, and we all were um, went to Iceland and the whole week was focused on uh, climate change, sustainability uh, initiatives. Um, Uh, carbon neutral initiatives, carbon extraction initiatives as well. And that really opened and inspired, opened my, my perspective about the subject and really inspired me to um, more intentionally focus on, on these areas. Because like you said, we keep building things and we don't necessarily look back to understand the impact of building these things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, people... Um, are becoming a lot more conscious about that. Um, still not being done <laughs> enough. There's still a lot of greenwashing happening. Uh, but I believe that um, a lot of policymaking is working in the right direction. And I think that that is creating new opportunities for businesses to uh, fully invest in this. And so I think that we're kind of getting into potentially because of the desperation uh, that we all feel, right? We're all tired mm -hmm. of seeing the, our planet being uh, destroyed, uh, a lot of greenwashing um, happening and no one really um, doing anything about it. So I'm really proud um, of being involved and, and supporting founders who work uh, towards this direction. Um, that the problem is, is um, complex um and and quite large and so but we do need to start doing something about it um so that's that's been an intentional um strategy with my own career is you know I help building um products that help grow organizations uh so I really want to make sure that that has a, at least not a negative impact on on the planet um and so even within Founders Factory, uh, I've swayed towards uh, more mission-led um, organizations and um, always put my hand up to help specifically. There's this extra fund that uh, Founders Factory opera, um, operations supports uh, called GeForce, and it's uh, all about accelerating um, uh, us reaching um, carbon neutrality. And so these are the kind of organizations that I've also been um, paying a lot more attention to and, and intentionally supporting, yes. which I also put the links to. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think policymaking is really the, the key uh, on this topic um, because at the end of the day, these companies did need to still make money. And uh, if uh, if they can't, if the market doesn't push for it, it it's impossible. Like. Uh, To, to survive um absolutely this is a big problem because um there's um an episode um a podcast 
there's this person I, I really admire. I've been following since, I don't know, 2016, I think, called Azim Azar. He wrote a book about um, exponential view and it essentially um, talks about the exponential growth of technology and how society doesn't necessarily keep up with that exponential growth. And so you're creating a massive gap there. Mm -hmm. And so he has a newsletter and a podcast where he talks about um, AI um, and climate change um, and Web3. And um, one of the episodes was an interview with, um, I can't necessarily remember the chap's name. He works for McKinsey uh, from an ESG investment perspective. And he, at some point in the episode, was saying that we keep saying that the market will decide, but the reality is that the market, our financial markets, they need to make investments and um, decisions based on opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, without policy making, those opportunities don't exist uh, mm -hmm. because governments need to push for those opportunities to 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 happen. Um, and so we are at risk of the market moving against this um, carbon neutrality mission because. Um, you know, there's not enough uh, foundations and structures to 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 put in place for financial markets to fully invest in these. And so, I feel like that's where uh, the direction of travel is is going is uh, pushing for compliance uh, and more um, better accountability for businesses overall to make sure that you know avoid um, greenwashing and uh, ESG, for example, to become a tick a box ticking exercise. Uh, mm -hmm. overall and be actually yeah. towards impact yeah yeah super super important thank you yeah can you can you share some uh, um, examples of cool projects in this area that you have um, yeah absolutely so for example a project that I'm quite close with at the moment is called ESG 360 um, what they're doing is to tie, um, so ESG uh, stands for Environment, Social and Governance, um, and is essentially the targets that uh, companies set themselves to uh, meet. Um, there is a policy moving towards making sure that companies are accountable for all the emissions uh, that they are uh, responsible for. Up until now, they've only been made accountable accountable for what we call as emissions scope one and two. So the emissions that they directly produce, either via their own manufacturer or transportation. Uh, but there's this other scope called scope three, uh, which uh, taps into uh, the rest of the value chain. And so what they're doing is to make sure that uh, companies are able to track uh, those scope three emissions, and then they're able to tie that those emissions into uh, the risk, their position, um, their risk mm -hmm. position in 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 the world. For example, okay, you've been, um, you know, you you're going to spend in the future this amount of money uh, if you're going to continue to produce this car this amount of carbon. Uh, in one hand, but also on the other hand you can uh, physically map the risk uh, that they will have in in uh, that they'll be exposed to um, in the future by looking at where they have their factories, where they have their uh, suppliers and see how their suppliers are going to be affected by climate change. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. I will definitely 
research more about these projects in the in the near future. Thank you. Let's let's move on to a topic um, more or less related to this one of building and doing what matters, that is AI and accountability. So this comes from an article that you wrote mm. uh, very recently about uh, who is accountable for the outcome that might come from AI products. Maybe just to give a brief uh, context on this problem, I think everyone knows over the past months, we have seen a, a mass adoption of AI-based tools that uh, gen can generate images, can have conversations or doing other things. And this, this represents a huge technological jump that might save us time and empower us to go faster than ever. There is also the potential of uh, harmful consequences that uh, some of them we don't even know yet that they might exist. Why is it important that we invest time in thinking about AI accountability issues? There's there's a few, and you know, as product people, we are we should always think about you know why we're doing this, but also what is the impact uh, of doing it, right? So, as you said, I mean, AI is super exciting. Um, Gen AI specifically, super exciting. I mean, we've seen so much content out there. There's people building really cool stuff. Uh, you're increasing your productivity by uh, <laughs> exponential, exponentially. Um, and so this is all very exciting. And, and uh, people trying to stop this is, um, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily um, the most, um, the best the best strategy um because mm -hmm. how do you stop a tsunami <laughs> yeah. um you know technologies is already um a bit of a dif difficult concept for most people to understand because we keep using our analogies but the reality is that yes we're not building a house we're not building a chair and uh, this is not a factory uh technology is uh, software building software is a lot more complex um than than what uh, any analogies that we can come up with and so um, uh, ai is a software on steroids essentially um so i believe that instead of trying to stop this uh it's um our superpower as product people is more about understanding it um understanding it uh what what is the purpose you know why we're we're adding ai to things because you don't want to end up being uh um you know building things for the sake of building things <laughs> um so that's priority number one is is how is this going to add value uh, and then priority number two is um what is going to be the impact um what is the how does the world look like if we um with, with ai in it um and understand fully the impact through through the chains so we talk about reduction of labor. We're talking about um, a lot of um, people being missed in in the equation because when we talk about large data sets, those large data sets are trained with uh, uh, data that might not be uh, the best one, um, or no one has really looked at uh, how uh, things, um, how what data was has been used to 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 create. Uh, these models, the type of models that we use, how we clean the data, and also how we expose the data that is being produced. So all of this 
needs to be looked at um, because it has serious impacts for for people's livelihoods. You know, people who are denied credits, people who are um, because they're put in a box and the computer says no. <laughs> um, there are, you know, real world and real life uh, consequences. So we do need to act responsibly and we do need to be um, quite aware um, that um, and mindful that uh, there are risks because once we are aware of the risks, we are able to create a plan and how to mitigate them. As simple as that. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot more complex, but I like to say as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the external links that you put it there was an example of uh, um, a girl that was testing the NAI algorithm of uh, uh, face recognition. And the, the test that she was doing was... Uh, checking if the algorithm could uh, recognize that she was wearing a mask and it was recognizing a lot of time that she had tape in her mouth and then she did the test with um, male uh, photographs and uh, the uh, rate of success was much higher to men so the algorithm could say that men were wearing masks whilst when they, it, it was photos of women it was more prompt to say that they were at tape in their mouths and then she found out that uh, a lot of images in google if they she wrote uh, women with tape or tape women there were images of women uh, with tape in her mouth like in distress and in, in not comfortable situations whilst uh, when she wrote uh, men with tape the images that uh, showed were more like uh, funny pranks or like an arm full of tape but not the violent images that uh, google showed in uh, when it was women so that, that was one of the examples of how ai can not be as you said uh, neutral no, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for bringing that up, because um, I'd say that that is the proof that uh, we do need to be careful uh, and continue to pay attention to all steps of the way uh, when we were talking about and when we look at outputs from um, any Gen AI products. Um, and that highlights uh, the fact that, um, you know, the content that we are producing, the content that we're sharing is biased and so the content that is being used to um the data that is being used to train these models is naturally not biased uh, is is biased as well so we cannot um in in full conscious say that um yeah. the, the outputs are, are are not biased and are neutral um yeah. and so bringing uh to light a, a huge need to have um a good representation um, a good community representation from uh, people of all different cultures and backgrounds um, to make sure that every step of the way uh, from data input to data transformation to data output um, that there is a, um, an unbiased <laughs> you cannot remove the bias but you can definitely bring people with different backgrounds um, yeah. to ensure uh, that the outputs are being representative uh, fairly, at least. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the first step is to bring awareness that this is a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. That is a problem and that we do need to have as part of the exercises when we're building products with uh, that are based in this type of technology um, that carry risks. And if we don't have transparent and honest conversations about it, uh, we are just glossing over these risks. But if we do have conversations as, as a team, um, and again, bringing different people into or giving light or voice to, to other people, uh, we are able to identify the risks. And once we're able to identify the risks, we're able to mitigate them or do exactly. something about it and continuously yeah. improve, right? Because that's the purpose of product. This is why not a project, because it will continue to evolve technology, the worlds around us. And, and that's why, you know, we keep having a job. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's even more important in this topic to bring this awareness uh, sooner than later, because I was reading this um, research that said that within 15 years, it is likely that we will see an improvement of 1,000 times in AI capabilities in a single year. So I'm not sure, like this is a big number, I'm not sure how to imagine this, but uh, it, like per year we have an improvement in, in 1000 times, what what per year. So like, again, like I don't know what this means, but it's a big number. So it's, it's going to move in even faster than it's moving today. And uh, we are I'm not, not surprised. We, not surprised. I mean, this is what exponential growth uh, means, right? The more investment mm -hmm. that you put in it, um, the more attention and love you 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 put into something, the more it will grow. Now imagine um, it in happening in in the world of software and digital world, where um, there's not a limitless uh, capacity, but we 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 are quite close to that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people will be left behind um, and there needs to be more attention, love and growth uh, to support um, people across generations, across different populations to 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 shorten that gap that I was you know, identifying <laughs> a, a yeah. while ago. Um, and that more people need to be talking about that because um, it, it's going to create a lot of, of differences um in society uh, that's for sure yes 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 and one of the the possible solutions that you identified uh to reduce the risk of these harmful consequences uh was the role of the tech uh, ethicist that i found yeah. really interesting um like i think this is quite uh, this is quite uh, important to exist and i'm glad that there's a light uh people are thinking about this but I, i'm not seeing um companies hiring this type of of roles and people if there's no policy uh and regulation in this area because like in the end of the day this is money that this is a part of the budget that could be used in another part um, no, absolutely. I I was fascinated by that role as well. And that's why I really wanted to bring it to light. Um, I read about it in a book called uh, Technology is Not Neutral, a short guide to technology uh, ethics by Stephanie Hare. Um, and she identifies uh, this role as a, a role that is growing 
in organizations. The, the bit that I found fascinating was the fact that this role could be sitting in the design team to look at the problem space and the solution space and make sure that the things that we put out there and how we think about problems are more holistic. To think about that ethics side, it could also live within the tech and data teams mm-hmm. to make the data that is being uh, used for to train these models or the type of technology that we're building um, is uh, has ethics um, in in the mix, um, but also can sit in legal and uh, risk uh, in in businesses um, because um, we need to make sure that the things that we're building are not uh, actively um, or on purpose damaging uh, societies and, and people's livelihoods. Um, and so I found uh, this real fascinating, and I think that in the past we had. Uh, a com- very good conversation about uh, maybe considering that some of these um, solutions, some of these products that we're putting out there, the people who are building this should take a Hippocratic uh, oath um, mm-hmm. because we are building a society and we are building the world, a, a digital twin of our world in, um, in, in software. And so that needs to be uh, taken a little bit more seriously sometimes uh, some of the systems that we are creating, some of these products that we're creating, uh, because they have uh, an impact in the real world and in people's real lives. Um, and it's just not something that, you know, the code works in my machine yeah. <laughs> uh, so, type of uh, a thought process. It's so interesting that you are referring that the hypocratic oath, the, the need for that, as Radhika also advocates for the same thing. And we already, she has already been here. Uh, in the podcast so it's it's quite interesting to see things linking each other <laughs> absolutely i think that people who operate at a level where you see a lot and you're exposed to a lot you start connecting the dots at a yeah. a bit of a different level um yeah. and so it's natural that we all are coming to similar conclusions now again um we we touched a bit on the uh the policy making i feel like w- the, one of the biggest challenges is that when governments come uh, to um, support these these changes or support this kind of intentions, um, it is is difficult um, to have them in the conversation because there's not necessarily a lot of people in the governments who who are tech savvy, and so mm-hmm. some of these decisions and some of these uh, this regulation is not being done with uh, all the information. And I think that there's a bit of a friction there. So it's almost like maybe you also need to start thinking about um, product management that sits between uh, the world of technology and, you know, maybe I'm creating a whole new role there <laughs> <laughs> that that needs to exist, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's in the... the, the the, the jobs that we're in, right? We we create bridges, we, we create connections, we bring awareness, we communicate, we identify and highlight risks, and we make sure that we're building uh, the right thing if it's worth building at all, yeah. I feel. Yes. <laughs> well, I I'm really I, I'm really inspired by our conversation, I have to say. Aww. And I think <laughs> Thank you. that, that uh, the the needs so, like, uh, the gap between politicians and policymakers and AI, it's bigger and bigger, and it uh, it has tendency to become even bigger. And uh, well, it's quite 
frightening uh, how, like maybe tying up everything that we have been talking about. So the world is moving faster than ever. People, there's, people will feel left behind, especially people that are not in this, uh, this part of the world that is growing so fast and they don't understand it. And that has also a repercussion in the, how people, where people will vote. And uh, yeah, yeah. But then tying so everything, then tying everything together. I mean, including more, a more diverse workforce into tech is definitely a priority. Yeah. Uh, because people who come and and product people again um, are really good at uh, bringing a bit of diversity because. Especially in in Europe, we see product people coming from all uh, parts of of uh, all different backgrounds, really. Um, and I think that we definitely need to use more of that side, rather than sometimes I feel like product people invest so much, especially people who don't necessarily come from a tech background. I speak for myself, invest so much in understanding and getting up to speed with tech, and sometimes forgets to bring a lot of their own experiences. Um, to, to building products. And I feel like we are now seeing a shift in uh, having less specialized workforce because you mm -hmm. want generalists, you want people who have seen a lot of different things, the same solution applied to different contexts, but also people who come from different walks of life. Um, mm -hmm. And we definitely need to invest more in educating, um, you know, bringing more of that tech to uh, to schools, uh, for example, as a projects that I'm, I'm really passionate for, uh, passionate about, um, is, is highlighting, you know, uh, awareness to, towards STEM, um, demystifying a little bit of that career path and making sure that, uh, people are, uh, young people are supported, feel supported in exploring this world. And it doesn't feel like a huge mountain to climb, um, mostly because at least they're informed. Um, and so we just need to, you know, if we're being exponential about, uh, how we build products, we should also be exponential about the type of people that we bring in to yeah. um, building those products. Yes, yes. And definitely that idea that uh, was uh, originally in product management that, uh, well, you need to know how to code or come from computer science, it doesn't apply anymore. And thank God. I think there's value again. Yeah. There's diversity. The word diversity includes everything, right? There, There's value in every superpower being used at the right time in the right context. So that's what yeah. we need to, to focus yeah. on. I'm not a fan of those, as you probably read from my articles, they're always quite long, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly because I'm not a huge fan of those um, sound bites that um, simplify things quite a bit. I think that is important to get uh, diversity and a, a wider overview uh, and yeah. different perspectives into the mix. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I found your articles really interesting and I <laughs> thank you. I, they are dense, but uh, worth reading for sure. But well, it's, it's things that something... you can come back to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like you, you need to, to digest what you are reading because makes you makes you think. It's good. <laughs> oh, good. Um, good. Good. Make make people um, think. <laughs> <laughs> I well, we are reaching the end of our conversation. It's been amazing to talk to you, Anish. And uh, I, I would like to ask you, like, so you'll be uh, in the Protest Conference this year. Yeah, come late. Yeah, very excited and, about it. 
in October. And I, I wanted to ask you, why, why should people join us in uh, October for the conference? Wow. Well, it's going to be so much fun. Um, I've been in uh, in London for a long time and I've been my London friends, you know, you haven't really parted until you, you part in Lisbon. <laughs> so there's that part, but uh, mostly I'm quite excited about um, being able to experience product in, in my own town. I, I think mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe a little bit Uh, gets me a little bit teary because I never thought that this would would actually happen. Um, so I know uh, that we're going to be talking about um, product strategy, uh, product ops, um, and all things uh, in between. And uh, I'm just generally excited about having mm -hmm. a lot of people I I work with, I have, uh, I am friends with. Uh, I admire all in the same space and in my hometown. I don't know if that will be the same kind of vibe that people will be coming for, but that's the vibe that I'm coming for. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, Inesh. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Magadi. And I hope that uh, this wasn't a dense one either. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.